2: flyweight champion of the world.
1: This is Fast Eddie Chambers and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man Joey Coastman.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 318 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing my man?
1: I'm doing good, my man. How about
2: you? Always, always, always good when speaking with you, Eddie. That's the truth. Uh, We're going to jump straight into the review part of the show here. Uh, We're going to start on Friday, November 12th, at York Hall, Bethnal Green, the mecca of British boxing. Over here, heavyweight uh, David Adelaide with a win now 18. Eight and zero, a four-round retirement win against Dominic Muzil, who's now six and four. Muzil down in the fourth round and retired on his store at the end of that fourth. There, so David Adelaide now eight and zero. Moving out now to the Leeds United. Um, FC banqueting suite in Elland Road. Over here, Leeds' son, you you may as well say it's between him and uh, Josh Warrington. But Jack Bateson now fifteen and oh, a unanimous decision over ten against Ramez Mahmoud, who's now eleven and two. That one was for the vacant English super bantamweight title. Bateson Cut, I believe, on his right and left eye and had a point deducted in round nine, but still managed to win unanimously, like I say. The judges there, Phil Edwards, John Latham and Terry O'Connor, referee Steve Gray. Um, on the undercard, Darren Tetley with a win now, 21-2, and a points win over six against Evgeny Vazem, who's now 9-17. and um, Ellis Hopkins as well with a win now, 2-0. and I think she's trained... Uh, trained by ASGI I believe part of or, or a former part of Team Fury, um, Ellis Hopkins, like I say, two and zero. She beat Claudia Vie, who's now three and thirty-four with a draw. Moving out now to Germany, the Cuban former heavyweight, now cruiserweight, I think Mike Perez, now twenty-six and three with a draw. It was his thirtieth pro fight, a TKO in round six there against Jose Ulrich, who's now seventeen and five on the undercard. Former foe of Dave Allen, Lenroy Thomas, now. Now um, 25 and five with a draw, a TKO in round four against Marcos Antonio Amalda, who's now 21 and 11. Um, what else do we have on that card? I don't think anything else. Moving out now to the Sky Dome in Coventry. This one was on Channel Five. I've got to say, I didn't actually watch this card. I know there was some controversy with the main event, River Wilson bent now. Um, 10 and 0 with a draw. Tyler Denny now 13 and 2 with three draws. A technical draw in round seven of a scheduled 10. There for the vacant English middleweight title. The bout was was you know declared a. Um, you know, it went to the it went to the cards basically at the time of the stoppage, and this was because there was a cut that opened up on River Wilson Benz. Uh, I think it was his eye, and again, I haven't seen this, but from what I'm hearing, apparently a cut opened up. I think it should have been ruled as a knockout because I don't think it was a head clash but I think the referee Ian John Lewis deemed it as a head clash and I think the replays showed otherwise if I'm getting that horribly wrong then I am very sorry I didn't see it that's what I've heard um, again, if I'm wrong, feel free to correct me. I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong. But apparently, that is what went down there. So um, River Wilson bent, from what I'm hearing, very fortunate, very lucky to still have his O intact. On the undercard, Shakam Pitters now 17 and one, a TKO in round eight against Reese Cartwright. Again, I've heard that was a cracking fight. Haven't had time to see it. He's now 23 and two, Mr. Cartwright. That one was for the vacant WBC International Light Heavyweight title. The Two Irish brothers, Stephen McKenna and Aaron McKenna, both with wins here. Aaron McKenna with a points win over eight against Gabriel Gorbix, who was down in the first round but managed to go the, the full eight rounds. Um, Aaron McKenna now 13-0. and Stephen McKenna now 10-0, a KO in the very first round against Richmond Jarbeng, who's now 31-5 and with a draw. Casey Benjamin as well with a win, a TKO in round five against Andreas Meyer. Um... He's now fourteen and one with a draw. Casey Benjamin also on the card. Idris Virgo now eleven and zero with a draw, a points win over six against Gregory Trennell. and Mick Hennessy Jr. Eight and one with a draw, a points win over six against Ivan Negatch, who's now thirteen or sorry twelve and twenty one. Um, Tommy Welch as well, son of Scott Welch. He's now six and zero, a TKO in the first round there against Christian Kirillov, who's now five and eleven with a draw. Flown through that one there. Moving out now to the Sheffield Arena in Yorkshire, United Kingdom. This one was on the zone. Oh my gosh, it hurts me to say it. Let's start with the undercard. Um, good win for Dante Dixon, who's now 6 0. A points win over 8 against Jordan McCory, now 19 8 with a draw. Jordan McCory, you know, a bit of a gatekeeper, I guess, on the domestic scene. He's been in there with some of the top boys domestically. He's come up short most of the time. Um, but, you know, people tend to not really fight him unless they've had about, I don't know, 10 fights, 12 fights, something like that. For Dante Dixon to get in there just 5-0, and for me, you know, he gets a lot of respect for taking that. Um, that step up there, and he dealt with Jordan McCorry. To be honest, it was always going to be a little bit rough. A few questions asked of Dante Dixon, uh, Jordan McCorry with that experience, it was always going to show. And yeah, he had a point deducted in the sixth round. Jordan McCorry and the final scorecard from Howard Foster. Um, 77-73 over eight rounds there. So Dante Dixon, the winner, now six and zero. Like I say, good stuff for him. Um, a fight on the undercard between two undefeated fighters. We had James Flint nine and zero with a draw loses zero over points um, or over ten rounds on points to Dom Hunt, who's now eight and zero there for the vacant central area welterweight title. Terry Harper, she was upset. Boy, oh boy, she loses her WBC NIBO World Female Super Featherweight titles to... I thought her name was Alicia Baumgardner, but I believe it's Alicia Baumgardner. Now, 11-1. Um, Now, of course, the new WBC World Female Super Featherweight Champion. She said she'd knock Terry Harper out, and she did. Fourth round TKO. Terry Harper now 11-1 with a draw. Um... Very shocking. Not many people felt that this was going to happen. Um, a few people, I guess, a few you know, a certain crowd of people on Twitter were backing Baumgartner to win, but most people were were you know heavily favoring Terry Harper, including Michaela Mayer, who of course is from the United States. She wasn't backing her her fellow countrywoman in that one. She felt that Terry Harper would outbox her. She didn't think that Ali, um, Alicia's Power was real, despite everyone talking about her power, and uh, you know it it showed here. She seemed to have that power, that power that a lot of women don't possess, especially at those lower weights. Um, Very good win for Baumgardner. I've got to say, it would be great to have her on the podcast at some point in the future. But fantastic for her. Um, You know, the perfect stoppage as well from the referee. I think it was—I want to say it was Mark Lyson. Um, Yeah, I think it was Mark Lyson, but, you know, she hit um, Terry Harper with a punch that that stiffened up her legs, you know, Harper's legs, and she kind of seemed to, like, turn and, like, swivel with her arms down. It was almost as if she was knocked out while standing up, you know, her eyes were closed, she was stood up all stiff, and it did remind me of the punch that Pavetkin hit David Price with just before he hit him with that other, that big left hook that he didn't really need to take. He was gone on his feet. He was asleep on his feet. And that is what happened there to Terry Harper. And the referee jumped in straight away and didn't let her take another punch, really. I think she might have took one, just a half punch. But, yeah, very good stoppage from Mark Lyson. And, you know, he grabbed a hold of her, stopped it straight away. Perfect stoppage. Um... But yeah, like I say, some people felt that Baumgartner's power was a myth. She she predicted it. She delivered. There's a rematch clause, of course, but I'm not so sure that Terry Harper's going to take it because she lost every second of the fight there. Uh, yeah, gutted for her. I quite like Terry Harper, and she's got a cool story and the rest of it, but... Yeah, man, Baumgardner. I want to see her go back and take on someone like a Maeva Hamadouche. Imagine that. Or someone like a, a Michaela Mayer. It seems like Michaela Mayer and Terry Harper. That fight seems like it's lost now. It's a big shame. Um, Chris Billum-Smith with a win. Now 14-1, and a unanimous decision over 12 against Dylan Breggian. I expected a little, bit more, a little bit more from Chris Billum-Smith. I thought he'd probably stop this guy here, but it was another defense there of his EBU European Cruiserweight title. Uh, so yeah, marches on, Mr. Billum Smith, and the main event, Kid Galahad. Now 28 and two, he was knocked out in round six by Kiko Martinez, the former world champion from Spain. 43 and 10 with two draws, his record now. It was four, of course, Galahad's IBF World Featherweight title. It was his first defense of the title after looking quite sensational last time out against Jazza Dickens. Um he was cut early on as well, Kiko Martinez. I think it was round three. Galahad down late in the fifth round and then completely knocked out with the first punch of round six. He was in total control, Kid Galahad, and I'm, I'm just staggered. I still can't quite believe what happened. It took me a while. I, I watched it live and I just... I sat there for a few moments in disbelief. Like, I know boxing can be shocking at times, but this is as shocking as it can get. I mean, let's, let's have it right here. We're talking about um, 35-year-old Kiko Martinez, a man whose best days are well and truly behind him, well and truly behind him. I mean, last time this guy was a world champion was back in 2014, early part of 2014, I think it was. So that's seven years ago. You know, he, he got dethroned by Carl Frampton, and then he came back, got knocked out quick against Scott Quigg in two rounds, came back and got knocked out by Leo Santa Cruz, had a close fight with Josh Warrington, come back, got knocked out by Gary Russell Jr., you know, had the the close fight with, with Zelfa Barrett, and then he gets in with Kid Galahad, who was absolutely expected to batter him, and he was battering him. He was winning every single flipping second of a round, you know, he was in total control. And... You know, another thing that I thought of as well during the fight is that it obviously wasn't too long prior to this fight that he arguably beat Zelfa Barrett. And that fight took place at 130. And Barrett's a big 130, but he looked lost at sea in this fight here at 126 against a smaller guy. But obviously the the style of Galahad being a you know, a, a fluid switch hitter. It gave him so many problems, and he was cut, like I say. I looked at the in-play betting, and it was 1 to 100 for Kid Galahad to win. So about three rounds in, I looked at the betting. You'd have to put down a £1,000 to get £10 back. That's how sure the bookies were that Galahad would win. And like I say, this is the kind of upset that comes around probably once every 10 years. Um... He drops Galahad in the fifth round with the last punch of the round. Galahad luckily was able to get up and not have to take another punch before the bell went. He went back to his corner. He had the 60 seconds in between rounds and it simply wasn't enough. He comes straight back out and got knocked out with the first punch of round six, which, by the way, was exactly the same shot. Um I'm not sure if he's dehydrated at the weight. Something looked awfully wrong, but this was a terrible a terrible Saturday night for British Boxing. Two British world champions on the same card, both knocked out by underdog challengers awful awful and i'm gutted for kid galahad friend of the show um he's he's had a career full of ups and downs really finally become champion had a had a cherry picked easy defense really i think he was ranked number 15 or something kiko martinez he hadn't had you know a big win or anything like that on paper uh, for, for for many years and some people really scratching their heads on how he even became in the top 15 and he got there and now he's back to being world champion which again I still cannot quite believe it I still feel like I'm dreaming moving out now though to the footprint center in Phoenix Arizona USA this one was on showtime David Benavidez with a win now 25-0 a TKO in round 7 against the very very teak tough Kyron Davis who'd never been stopped he has now been stopped um, He is now 16 and 3 with a draw. Um, Yeah, he destroyed him, really. Benavidez, he destroyed Davis systematically. The switching of stances, the big hooks to the head and the body. We know that Benavidez carries power in both hands. He's got the speed as well. He's such an exciting fighter, and for me, one of the best to watch in the world. And not just has he got the exciting style, he is really one of the best fighters in the world, period. I think he's a savage when he's in the squared, so uh, the, um, you know, the, the, Squared circle? I think I'm messing that up. Is that the right saying? I don't know. When he's in the ring, anyway, he's a savage. Um, but yeah, like I say, credit to Davis for the heart he showed us. He was a late replacement. He's not really a 168-pounder. I think he only had two weeks to prepare. He jumped in, and um good stoppage as well from the corner. I think it was... um I think it was Breadman or whatever. I think his corner man is good. Stoppage. He was taking a real beating, and after the fight, Benavidez called out Canelo. He called uh, he called Big Charlo a a name I'm not going to repeat. He called him a uh, P U S, and you know the rest of it. He called him one of them. Um, I'd love either of those fights for for um, for Benavidez. I'd love to see him in with Jamal Charlo. I'd love to see him in with Canelo. He probably is the biggest threat to Canelo's throne. Um, yeah, I'd love any of those fights. And I'd definitely pick him to beat Charlo, by the way. But what a fighter he is. And he's a friend of the show. He's, he's, a, he's a very, very cool dude. Uh, you know, he can fight. He can talk. He's got the whole package, really. He just needs to keep on track. He's been in trouble outside of the ring. That's where he's lost his title twice, outside of the ring. And remember, the little factoid, just for those that don't know, he is, as far as I'm aware, the only top fighter in boxing who's never lost a fight in his life, yes I mean amateur and pro the guy has never lost a fight in the amateurs or the pros that's quite remarkable there um, David Benavidez, his brother though was on the undercard, Jose Benavidez Jr he was able to get a draw over 10 rounds, a majority draw against Francisco Torres who's now 17-3 and with a draw Jose Benavidez 27-1 and with a draw, if I'm not mistaken on fight week, I'm sure I saw something that I think Terence Crawford said his hardest fight, his hardest challenger was Jose Benavidez Jr., which I found it a little bit hard to believe because he's had some some closer fights, I think, Terence Crawford. I remember he struggled to get Benavidez out of there, but he did eventually get him out of there. But um, I'm not sure what that was based off of. But Maybe I'm getting that wrong, but I'm sure I read that somewhere. Um, but yeah, a lot of people feeling like he was gifted a draw here against Francisco Torres, who I expected him to probably knock him out. I think he'd been stopped a couple of times, had a bit of an inflated record... Um, so, yeah, quite quite surprised to see it go all 10, and especially the way it went. Like I say, a lot of people felt that Benavidez didn't even deserve a draw here, and he was very lucky to not have another loss. He'd been out of the ring, I think, for over three years. Perhaps it was a bad opponent to come back to. We shall see. He needs to get back active. So, the final thing that's happened from the weekend gone. Saturday, the 13th of November, at the Honda Center in California, USA. Over here, on the undercard, a win for William Zapida, now and 24- A K.O. in round 4 against John Moralde. That one was for the WBA Continental America's lightweight title. Um, That's about it really for the undercard to be honest. Let's go to the main event. Jaime Munguia now 38-0. A unanimous decision over 12 against Gabriel Rosado. Now 26-14 with a draw. It was for the WBO Intercontinental middleweight title. Um, I expected it to go this way, I predicted a Mungia win on points, it was a good fight, some people said it was going to probably be fight of the year, it could have been fight of the year in terms, you know, going into it, I think a lot of people felt this could potentially be fight of the year, not many people could disagree with that, I'm not so sure I'd say it was fight of the year, but it was still a really, really good fight, and Gabriel Rosado has been in good fight after good fight for many years, um, just not good enough, really, from him in the end. Eddie tried his best. He perhaps hurt Munguia a few times. It was a war like every Rosado fight and every Munguia fight, really.
1: Without a doubt. You know, I know Gabe. I've seen Gabe several times fight. And it seems like even if the fight in the beginning or in early parts seems a bit tactical from him, it always ends up in some way being a war. You know what I mean? And it's just, you know, it's just his, his default. <laughs> I guess he just he falls into that almost every single time but you know it's it's what people love about him it's what people love to see and as far as munguia this is my i think my maybe not my first time seeing. Him. i might have seen him before but i was uh happy with what i've seen obviously and these guys are action fighters and it's just it's awesome to see you know boxing like this is just you know especially at the high level when you know when you see skills and excitement, you know, and 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 um uh, and blood and guts. It's just a lovely thing to watch. And as far as Gabe, you know, and sometimes it's a tough thing for me because I was watching the fight early on and, you know, he has he has more game than most people really understand. Like he can really he can really he can box. He can box a little. It's just he he just he's always pulled into the fire fight. Because that's just what, I guess what gets him going, you know what I mean. And I had a conversation with his former trainer, uh, and you know I guess they're still close. They still talk, and you know he's a great boxer. Mine is uh, Billy uh, Briscoe. So you know I'm 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 talking with him, and he was saying, you know the Gabe's issue is, even if he starts out with the right mindset and with the right game plan, as soon as he gets hit, all of a sudden it's it's fight time. It's go time. You know what I mean? There, all that stuff goes out the window, and it's just like if, I think if even though Munguia, I guess, could be considered the better boxer in the in the, in the fight, um, I still think Gabe would have benefited and maybe would have caught that, landed those bigger punches. I think if he had stayed a little bit more with the boxing aspect and not tried to so much fight fire with fire, it would have gave him more of an opportunity to catch him slipping. But um, fair play to. You know, Gabe still fought a good fight. It was exciting. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree. To, I think he won. When he, you know, like he was saying, the fight was, you know, it was it was good, but I think he was losing rounds, and he needed to either hurt him, or drop him, or something to turn the tide and and, and get a foothold in it. And it was just a uh, great fight, uh, exciting fight. You know, where does he, where do they where do they go from here? I think Gabe's stock is always high because he always gives a great account of himself, but I just don't know where he's going to, who he's going to fight next in this situation. As far as McGee, he's, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a good future. He's got some nice fights that he can line up and I'm looking forward to them all. And
2: moving out now to the final card of the review part of the show. This one took place at the Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, Olympic Park, New South Wales, Australia. Over here, Tim Su, now 20-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Takeshi Inoue. Um, First time he's gone 12 rounds, um, Tim Su pretty much won it. By shutout across the board there for the WBO global and WBO Asia Pacific super welterweight titles, Um, yeah, so good stuff for him there. Going the twelve, I actually thought he probably would go to twelve. So um, yeah tough guy is Takeshi Inoue, now 17-2 and two with a draw, like I say, 20 oh, Mr. Tim Su. That is it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing for us to do before we welcome our special guest, it is now time to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, but the opinions expressed are those of myself and former heavyweight world title challenger Eddie Chambers. Now, As I'm sure you all know, the holidays are coming round very, very soon. Uh, This year, Manscaped have the gift that keeps on trimming. Santa's beard isn't so appealing when it's coming out of your trousers, and that's why Manscaped, the leaders in Below the Waist Grooming, have you covered this holiday season. It's available in your country, if you're listening to this, UK, US. It's available in multiple countries, including the UK and US. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to keep their trees trimmed and ornaments polished. Remember, go to manscaped.com and use the promo code BOXHARD for 20% off plus free shipping. It's time to kill two birds with one trimmer and get yourself and your lady a gift I'm, of course, talking about the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Remember, inside that Performance Package, you'll find the signature lawnmower, the 4.0 lawnmower. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. It's like a gift to your partner with less mess. Uh, The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant moisture and toner myself and Eddie absolutely love this stuff uh, this hygiene bundle will also come with a pair of a pair of manscaped anti-chafing boxers. that is the perfect wrapping for your presence <laughs> the manscaped performance package comes with all the tools to clean up his delicate places included in this package as well is the weed whacker the ear and nose hair trimmer which is waterproof as well and uses a 9000 rpm motor-powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system nobody not even santa wants hairs under their chimney manscaped is going beyond the groin with their new refined cologne as well which offers a light yet masculine pleasing fragrance that will leave your lady on the naughty list this year um the cologne by the way i've tried it is absolutely brilliant i'm not really huge on aftershaves cologne stuff like that i i'm not really into loads of different smells but this is completely different to any other fragrance i've ever smelt so i'm actually using this stuff all the time it's made with hypoallergenic ingredients that are vegan, which I'm sure a lot of the vegans are happy about, including yourself there, Eddie, Um, cruelty-free, dye-free, this stuff, honestly, is absolutely brilliant. I've also tried the foot spray as well, I just want to throw that in there as well, the foot spray, it also smells of the rest of their products, but it's kind of got that minty, kind of fresh um, scent, you know, mixed in with it, this, honestly, their products are absolutely second to none. And again, you've got to visit their website, www.manscaped.com. Use the promo code BOXHARD for 20% off plus free shipping. We absolutely love Manscaped products. We love our partnership with Manscaped. They are fabulous. So go over there and check check, check their whole website out, to be honest with you. It's the time to go on there. There's a Black Friday sale coming up. Do not miss that. Use the promo code. As I said, you will not be disappointed. This is the time to gift these uh, these products to, to, to yourself. You can buy a gift for yourself. You can buy a gift for your friends, for your dad, for your brother, for your sons, for your, anyone. This stuff is fabulous, believe me. But that is it though. We are now wrapping up part one by welcoming our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF, Lineal, Ring Magazine, and two-time WBC light heavyweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Chad Dawson. Chad, welcome to the show, my man.
0: Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: Hey, I'm excited to have you here. It's excellent. So, Chad, I'd like to start with the same way I start all these kinds of interviews, really. What's your earliest memory of first ever putting on boxing gloves as a child?
0: Oh, first memory, first memory uh man, I can remember. Uh, the, I'm I'm originally from South Carolina, so um, I can remember um, being like maybe three or four years old. You know, running around with boxing gloves on, because my father was a fighter. So, you know, me and my brothers, we always you know boxed each other and, and played around doing that. But the earliest memory I can remember is like when I was like four or five years old. You know, always always knowing that I wanted to be a fighter. You know, from from the time I can remember, I can remember always just remember I just wanted to be a boxer.
2: Yeah. No, and I've heard many stories like that. Everyone seems to start young in the living room yeah. with the gloves and stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it happened.
2: <laughs> and, of course, you boxed as an amateur. Am I right in saying you had around 80 fights as an amateur? What's your favorite memory yeah. from your days as an amateur, Chad?
0: Oh, Those are the best days, man. And then, you know, when you turn pro, it's like every day all the fun goes away. into business, business so. yeah. But my, my, my best memory, I would say... uh. Uh, going, going, leaving the country and going to fight in um in a uh, junior world uh Olympics. I won uh, a bronze medal in the um, under nineteen world championships. I think that was my best memory because I got, that was my first time leaving the country. And uh, you know, we got the uh, experience, of you know, a different culture over there. You know, just just hanging out and getting to fight other other good good amateur fighters from around the world. So yeah, that was like my best memory.
2: Excellent man. And as we move on to your pro career, you made your pro debut August eighteenth, two thousand and one at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Um it only yeah. took you two rounds to get rid of your opponent, Steve Garrett. Do you remember much about your debut, Chad? Any nerves perhaps going in?
0: Uh, I remember I remember I remember the, I remember everything. You know, I remember the day of I remember uh the morning getting up and uh I was at the time I was living with my um my amateur coach. You know, I stayed the night at his house that night to get ready for the fight the next day of my pro debut. And I just remember it was like it was a hectic day, you know, just getting prepared, getting ready, trying to get my mind ready, trying to, you know, make sure I got everything before I get to the casino to get ready for the fight. Uh family and friends there, you know, everybody excited about my pro debut. So and actually my pro debut, it was I had a good turnout. I think I had about maybe two hundred people show up for me. So it was it was it was a good experience, great, you know, uh of course I was nervous. You know, it was my first fight. And uh, you know it, it went good. You know I got the guy there in two rounds, and uh you know it was, it was history from there.
2: And I want to jump forward to December 10th, 2004. At this point, you're 15-0 and with 10 KOs. You made that yeah. huge step up when you fought former WBA junior middleweight world champion Carl Daniels. Now, obviously, yeah. Carl at the time had a record 49-4. and uh, You become, though, the quickest man ever to stop him when you did so in round seven. Tell me what you remember about that fight. Obviously, a brilliant win for just someone of yourself, 15-0 and at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember. Uh, I remember I was I was itching for. I wanted to I wanted to be a main event fighter so bad, you know. Um, <laughs> and I remember they called me, um, and they had to fight for me. You know, they said the guy went, went went the distance with Bernard Hopkins, and you know he's a he's a he's a good fighter. So I, I was up for the challenge, and uh, I just went out there. You know, I think that was the time when I was coming into my own as a as a pro and as a, as a young man. So I, I was getting stronger after every fight and getting better after every fight. So, you know, and and that fight, I was was just, he caught me on a good night. And that night I was just, you know, it was that night where I came out of my shell and I was just, you know, ready for anybody.
2: Yeah, and what an excellent win, like I say. And let's jump yeah. forward once again. After beating Carl Daniels, you won another five fights in a row. This brings us into two thousand and six. You boxed a man who had such an up and down career, former world title challenger Eric Hardin. Uh you were yeah. down in the first round. Tell me what you yeah. remember about that fight and of course how it felt uh, to be on the floor. I know it was a, a flash. Good, yeah, yeah, go
0: there's, on. There's a good backstory behind that.
2: I'm here that. for it. Let's go. So
0: Eric, Eric Harding is from, uh, he, I think he's really from Philly, but he was living at the time. He was living in um, Hartford, Connecticut. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. So um, growing up in the amateurs, you know, I knew of Eric. You know, uh, I got to train with him a couple of times. You know, I, I kind of looked up to him because he was Southport too. So I kind of looked up to him as a fighter, as a professional fighter. And then I remember uh, one summer he called me. I think I was maybe like maybe eight and and0 or nine and and0 as a pro and they called me for training camp. He was there to fight Tarver. So they needed some South on work. So they called me for training camp, you know, to come up and spar with him. And I went up and I remember uh the first day of sparring, the first sparring session of the day, you know, it he didn't the first day I got in, right, we didn't go to go to the hotel or nothing. But they just wanted us to spar as soon as we got there. So I remember pitting on my stuff, getting ready and getting there and sparring, you know I wasn't I wasn't in shape. I wasn't in that great shape. You know, I was just coming in the camp to work with him. Got in there. He beat the crap out of me the first day. <laughs> I mean, he, he he didn't hold back and nothing. And then, then you no, know, we sparred I think about three or four more times. You know, but I got stronger and stronger after every home um, session It got better and better. But then I remember they called me for the fight and said that we're we gonna fight Eric Harden. And I was I was like, oh wow 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 wow. But this was like three maybe two or three years after that. You know, I was I was already I was I had a, a good momentum going. You know, in my career I was winning fights. I was. I was people were starting to know who I was, and I remember we made the fight. And I mean, we had an interview on the phone, and, and he was talking mad. Right? He was talking about how he was going to beat me up, like he did me in training camp and all this stuff like that. So that made that made for a good fight. So that that not broke, broke me out of my shell. Night of the fight, first round, he drops me in the first round. It was kind of like a flash knockdown. You know, he would a jab right on the button, right on the chin. I went down, but all that did was wake me up. That's all that did. That just that just. Ignited like more fire up under me, and, and I went out there and I, and I beat the brakes off them.
2: Yeah, you did. Like I say, <laughs> only a only a flash knocked down, as you said, walked into. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. You come back and won the fight. Um, no, brilliant backstory. That was really interesting. Uh, the very yeah, next yeah, yeah. fight after that was the first big one, um, February 3rd, 2007, at the Silver Spurs Arena in Florida. Yeah. You challenge the undefeated WBC light heavyweight world champion at the time, Thomas Adamek. Um, you're able to outpoint him unanimously over 12 rounds. You become world yeah. champion. Um, tell me about the fight and what it meant to you to become a world champion.
0: Oh, it meant everything, you know, I remember, um, I remember, I remember watching, uh, Tomas Adamek fight, um, I think it was, um, what's the guy, Briggs, I remember watching that fight on HBO, sitting around with my friends watching that fight on HBO, and, uh, I remember watching this light heavyweight, who was a big puncher, strong guy, and, uh, I remember watching the fight, and I'm like, wow, I might end up having to fight this guy, and, uh, Maybe six months down the line, I get a call, you know, you got a title shot, you're going to fight uh, uh, Tomas Adamek. And I was like, I was just watching this guy fight on TV. Of course, I was nervous because I saw the guy, you know, he's he was tough, he was strong. But, you know, I, I, I was young, and Like I said, I was still coming to my own. I was still growing as a man, maturing. And, and, and that fight, you know, that night was just, I wasn't going to let nobody stop me. I wasn't going to let nobody beat me. Nobody told me, nobody could tell me I wasn't going to win that fight. And I think, I think I was the underdog in that fight. And, uh, and I just went out there and I, 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 I was myself, you know, I was relaxed, I was calm and I went out there and I put on a beautiful performance and I, and I became a world champion.
2: And like I say, what did it mean to you, Chad? Because there's a lot of guys that, you know, have so much promise. As you say, you were the underdog, you took the title away from a champion like that who went on to move up and wait and become champion yeah. there as well. What did that mean to you at the time, if you can remember, being champ the first time?
0: Oh, it meant everything, but and it's it's, it's, it's kind of funny because at that time I was I was 24 I think I was 24 I was 24 at that time, and it, it meant everything to me. But it kind of didn't because I know I had more. I had I know I had more in me, and I want I wanted to uh, like at that time I just wanted I wanted I wanted to be the best. You know I wanted I wanted to be everybody. I wanted to fight the best. That's why I was fighting so many tough fights back to back to back to back because I wanted to be the best. And uh, I, for that night, you know, it meant it it the world to me, you know. But I think uh, when I beat the biggest world title, when the biggest win was uh, when I beat um, Bernard. Though so I think that was yeah. more bigger than anything. Yeah, but that was say. a special that was a special night for me, you know, becoming a world champion. Because that was something I always wanted to do, something, but to become a world champion. I remember as a little kid, you know, telling people, you know, I'm going to be a world champion. I'm going to be a world champion. You know, people looking at me like, ah, all right, okay, okay, okay. You know, right in... Write your stories in, 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 in class, like in fifth grade, sixth grade. You know, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a professional boxer. I'm going to be a world champion boxer. You know, um, and just remember, and all that stuff starts to come back. You start to remember all, the, all those times you said that, you know, I've spoken into existence, me becoming a world champion. So that was the, like the, the, the best experience I got out of that, you know, the fact that i spoke I spoken into existence that I was going to be a world champion.
2: That's beautiful, man. So is it fair to say you always knew you'd become a world champion?
0: Yes, I did. I did. I mean I wasn't I wasn't a uh I wasn't an outstanding amateur. I wasn't one of those images that stood out. I wasn't, you know, uh, people didn't know about me until like maybe after I was like 15, 16, you know. People yeah, started yeah. like open their eyes and like be like, "Okay, who's this kid right here?" You know. Yeah, and, the Carl and, and people,
2: fight.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but and people got to remember and the Carl Daniels fight, I was a middleweight.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I wasn't even like heavyweight. Anyway, I was a middleweight. So my, my 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 I wanted to become a world champion at middleweight, but I started getting too big. I was like I said, I was only I was when I fought Davis, I was only what 21, 20, maybe twenty one. So I was still growing, and uh, I was still growing. I wanted to become a world champion at uh, middleweight, but that didn't happen. So I had to move up to super middleweight. I had one fight, maybe one to two fights at super middleweight, and then I, I got too big for that. You know, at one one point, maybe over the span of two years, I just started putting on so much so much weight. Gaining weight, you know, I was still growing, and two fights at super middleweight, and I went straight straight into uh, light heavyweight. Before I fought two months I only had uh, I think one fight at light heavyweight.
2: Yeah, that is that is such a unbelievable yeah. fate, you know. Um, your first yeah. defense of the title came on um on on june 9th 2007 so only four months after the adamek win it it took place in connecticut you box jesus ruiz now ruiz supposedly had incredible punching power but you were able to become the quickest man to knock him out when you did so in round six tell me about that one chad
0: uh he he was he was he was definitely so i definitely felt the uh the power on his punch but like i said any 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 great fighter any good fighter knows that you know when as a fighter once you step into that 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 realm of can nobody beat me, can nobody stop me? I feel like I'm the best. That confidence, like it's a different type of confidence. Like at that time, nobody could beat me, and I, I I mean that. Like I felt like no, there was no nobody that could beat me. You know, I felt like I was Floyd Mayweather at that time. You know, I, I was the best. You no, know, even at that young age, even though I had so much more left in the tank, I just felt felt like I was I was the best.
2: And your second defence of the title again, only three months after that, September 29th in Cali, you boxed the Colombian Epifanio Mendoza, another big puncher. Yeah. Um, another occasion in which you become the quickest man to knock your opponent out. This time round four. Tell me about that one. Uh,
0: I, I knew, I knew, of, I knew of um Mendoza. I knew of him. I've seen a fight a few times, but like I said, I mean, I, I was. I was in shape. I was in great shape. And it was like I was in all of my fights, every fight, but it was just a thing where, you know, I, I was the best. No, they couldn't beat me. You know, I went out there that night, and uh, I didn't expect to get rid of him that easy and that, that quick, but it happened, and, you know, like I said, I was just on top of my game, man. And, like I said, any fighter could tell you this. Any great world champion could tell you this. You know, when you step into that realm of where I'm the best, I mean, that's, like, mentally, physically... I mean, you you can become feel like you're invincible. I mean and, and, and at that time that's how I felt.
2: And now we move to your third defense. It came on April the 12th, 2008 in Tampa, Florida. You took a big step up yeah. with this defense. The former IBF yeah. light heavyweight world champion Glenn Johnson, a yeah. man with tons of experience. I mean, this guy at the time had beaten Clinton Woods, Roy Jones Jr., Antonio Tava, Montel Griffin. You were able to beat him on points over 12. All three judges yeah. had the exact same still, scorecard.
0: Still to this, day, to this day, the toughest fight of my
2: career. Okay, so the toughest toughest fight. All three judges, eight rounds to four in your favor. Tell me about that, because a lot of people felt this result was controversial, even with all three judges having the exact same scores.
0: Yeah. Oh. Okay. So, I knew we knew it was going to be a tough fight. We knew that coming into the fight. We knew that we knew he was tough. We knew he was rugged. We knew he was he was. It was a road warrior. We knew he was coming to fight. So our main thing, the whole training camp was, was the, uh, the being tick top shake to be ready to go 12 rounds. And, you know, we wanted to get an early lead on the scorecards. So that's why I came out so fast. I came out fast in that fight. And I wanted to get the first four, first five or six rounds in my favor and, and win the first, first five or six rounds. And I pretty, pretty much feel like I did that after the, after the sixth or seventh round, I felt like I had a very a comfortable lead, but I, I knew I couldn't take my foot off the gas pedal. So, um, Glenn Johnson came. He was tough. He was strong. You know, he pushed me. He pushed me harder than anybody ever pushed me. You know, he... And I always told people to this day that uh, if I had never had that Glenn Johnson fight, the first Glenn Johnson fight, I don't think I would have ever matured into the fight I matured into. You know, uh, he took me through hell and high water. Um, I never... I never been hit with so many body shots. You know, I think around the 10th or 11th round, that's when the body shots start to wear me down. You know, but like I said, I was in... Our whole... Strategy for that training camp was to be in tip-top shape, ready to go twelve rounds. We wanted to get the, the jump on them in the, in the early rounds and uh, get to get a jump in and get six, six, six or seven rounds in the bag early. I think I got five of them in the bag early. So, like I, after the six, seven round, I know I know I, I had to fight in the bag. I just had to you know stay in there and, and 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 just finish strong. And I did that.
2: And shortly after the Johnson fight, you vacate the world title. Um, just before we move on to the next question, because I couldn't remember why you did that at the time, what was the reason yeah, behind yeah. that, Chad?
0: Oh, so the reason behind that was to get the Tarver fight.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's to that the, the
0: get the Tarver fight. To get the Tarver fight, the you know, we were um right after the first Glenn Johnson fight, we wanted Tarver. Right after that fight, we wanted him. You know, unfortunately, we had to, in order for me to get the Tarver fight, I had to give up the Dave BC title. You know, and um. I was I was willing to do that and I did that and I picked up two more titles within, in the in, in Tarver
2: fight. Okay, and we arrived there right now. Your next fight came in Las Vegas against reigning IBF uh, light heavyweight world champion at the time, Antonio Tarver. October 11th, 2008, you beat Tarver unanimously over 12. This was obviously the first of the two fights with Tarver. Tell me what you recall about this fight, uh, the first fight, obviously the night you become a two time light heavyweight world champion, Chad.
0: Oh, it was it was a it was a great night. You know, I remember I remember uh, I remember Floyd being there. So I remember Floyd being at the fight. I know I had to had to show out for Floyd. He was gonna be there. Uh, <laughs> I knew I knew I just man, it's like I'm 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 blessed and I'm grateful to, to have all the opportunities that I had. You know, being in the ring with with, with legends, great fighters, and uh, that night, man, I was just I was just in the zone. You know, I I, I was in tip top shape. You know, I, we we wanted the to a to fight for so long, when we finally got the fight. You know, he he pretty much talked his way into a into a into a loss because you know he ran his mouth. He talked, he talked, he talked, he talked. And you know, you know when you run your mouth, you gotta you gotta back it up. You know he wasn't able to back it up. <laughs> so you know, I went out there. I did what I had to do. Like I said, I was in tip top shape as I was for all my big fights. And um, when when you're in great shape and, and, and you match that with your talent, you know nobody can beat you. And that was the case that night.
2: And then, as I say, there was the instant rematch against Antonio Tava. This was your first defense of the title. (sighs) you would taken from him. Uh, The fight takes place back in Las Vegas again, May 9th, 2009. Once again, you beat him unanimously over 12. Um, Yeah, just tell us about the second fight in a few words. Second
0: fight, pretty much similar to the first fight. yeah. Yeah, same fight, same fight. You know, he wasn't looking to get knocked out. You know, he he was just in there. I felt like he was just in there to survive. He wasn't in there. He was in there. He didn't want to get hurt. He didn't want to. He was just in there to, to, to survive and get through the get through the fight. And uh, and I, I beat him easily.
2: Yeah, yeah. And after that is when you have another rematch. This time though, against <laughs> Glenn Johnson, uh, November seventh, yeah. <laughs> two thousand and nine, in Connecticut. I can hear you uh, yeah. chuckling there, much like the first fight. You... Yeah, because you know,
0: you know, I felt like I felt like I felt like at that time in my career, like. I feel like the networks and and everybody they were they were, they were trying to get me beat. Mm-hmm. You know, by um, you know, I fought Glenn Johnson twice, I fought Tarver twice, you know. They were putting me up against all these big punchers, you know, they would were, they were, feel like they were they at that, that moment they were trying to get me beat. You know, so but I was always in shape, I was always ready. So um the second tower fight, uh easy, you know, um I mean, like I said, I felt like at that time they were like, okay, we gotta we gotta try to get this kid beat now. So that's it's that's when they started, you know, stepping up the competition. So I mean like I said, I'm, I'm grateful to have been in, in such great fights and, 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 and fight great champions. You know? And um and it got me far.
2: Yeah, because this this second fight with Glenn Johnson, I just wanted to say if, if there was any controversy surrounding the first fight, this fight certainly closed the yeah. book on that that Glenn Johnson yeah, and that was, chapter. That was the plan. Just yeah, tell me that a few words about that fight, fight Chad, because it was more decisive, okay. obviously, in everyone's yeah. eyes. Yep.
0: Yeah. So the first fight, you know, it was it was pretty much it was a war. The first fight was a war. So definitely in the second fight, we didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want a war. I wanted. I wanted to go out there and I wanted to um, use my boxing skills and just outpoint him and beat him. And uh, and that's what I did. You know, I want to show everybody because everybody thought uh, I'm gonna say everybody, but a few people thought he might have got the win in, in in Florida, which I didn't see. I didn't see that when I, me watching re rewatching the first fight. I didn't see where I, he thought so he won that fight. But in the second fight, it was different because I wanted to go out and I wanted to
2: clearly beat him, and that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, you adapted basically. You certainly did. Yeah. Um, in order to have that rematch with Johnson, you had to vacate the IBF. So after beating Johnson <laughs> in the rematch, you wanted to go get your titles back. You decided to go. Yeah for the WBC title which by this point was under the ownership of that new champion yeah. Jean Pascal you travel yeah. to Montreal um, Canada uh, August mm-hmm. 14th 2010 the fight ends in a technical decision after 11 a head clash yeah. caused the fight to be stopped mm-hmm. you served your first career loss tell me about that fight Chad and how how it felt to lose for the first time
0: oh I felt to lose for the first time I mean it was, it was it was it was hard but it wasn't that hard because you know it wasn't I felt like in that fight, I felt like um, he had he he had to, definitely had the lead on the scorecard when the fight was ended. But the momentum I had, he wasn't going to make it out of the fight. The momentum I had, he, I was going to stop him. Eventually, I think it was the eleventh round. The fight got stopped. But as you can see, I had just hit him with a, a devastating uppercut, and then the headbutt happened. But I was I definitely wasn't um, I wasn't too devastated about the loss. I just knew that I could have been better that night. I knew that um, I wasn't myself early on in the fight when the fight first started. The first three or four rounds, I wasn't myself. You know, it took me a little little time to warm up, to get um, you know, to get a little rhythm going. And the fact that you know I, I was fighting out of the uh, out of the country in, in, in another guy, person's backyard, you know, a lot of that played a little bit into it. You know, nervousness and uh, fighting in the big, that was the biggest arena at that time that had fought in. You know, um, and when I got, I'm not gonna lie, when I got to Kennedy, you know, the welcome was good. You know, the fans loved me, it was great, the environment was great, but I just didn't do what I had to do to win that fight that night. And uh, he was ahead on the scorecard when the uh, fight ended. You know, but like I said, I, he wasn't gonna make it out of the fight. The fight was pretty much, I had told myself in, in coming out in the 11th round that I was gonna stop him. And that's what I was on my way to do, but the headbutt happened and, you know, he, got, he was ahead on the scorecard, he got the victory.
2: And you bounce back nine months later, back at the same venue, the Bell Center in in Canada, um, against former WBC light heavyweight world champion Adrian Diakonu. You beat him unanimously over 12. Tell me about that night, obviously, on the Pascal Hopkins 2 undercard, May 21st, 2011.
0: So that fight, that should have just shown people how how, how, how hungry, and how desperate I was to get my title back. You know, me going right back to the same place I lost to fight another Canadian in his backyard,
2: in your very next fight, which is a bit crazy, in, my, in the
0: very next <laughs> fight, yeah, in my very next Because that, that just showed you the, the hunger I want. I wanted my I wanted my title back. I wanted the ABC title back, and I was I was praying I was praying that Pascal beat Bernard because I didn't, I really wanted to fight Pascal. I wanted the rematch, but unfortunately he he couldn't he couldn't beat him. Uh, Bernard got the win, and uh, he got the rematch. Bernard beat him again, and you know? so it did it, it, the rematch. with Me and Pascal never happened, but that was the fight I really wanted to rematch with Pascal. But
2: I got Bernard. Yeah, and that's where we are. You won your fight against Diokonu. Bernard Hopkins, as you say, beat Pascal in the main event. This set up the next fight, you. You took on Bernard for the WBC Light Heavyweight World yeah. title. It takes place at the Staples Center in LA, yeah. October 15th, 2011. Um, obviously, the fight ends prematurely when Bernard couldn't yeah. continue after an accidental injury in round two. Initially in the ring, they announce you as the winner, the new champion by TKO. Yeah. Five days later, the commission changed the result to a technical draw. Then I believe two yeah. months after that, they finally changed it to a no contest, which meant, yeah. of course, that uh-huh. Bernard... Was reinstated as the champion after all. How'd you yeah. look back on that whole bizarre scenario? You were mad as hell in the ring for good reason, Chad. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah I was. I was. I was mad because, you know, look, you work your you, you work your whole career to get in positions like this. You know, to fight for war titles, to fight against the best. And at the time, Bernard was considered one of the, still one of the best. And I was looking forward to the challenge. And then, I'm going to be honest. I knew Bernard. Really didn't want to fight me. He wasn't looking forward to fighting me. He didn't. He didn't. He was. He had no interest in fighting me. And that that was just a way of him getting out of the fight. And hopefully he could just move on with his career and forget about Chad Dawson. But unfortunately, it didn't happen like that. They they ordered a, a, a WBC ordered an immediate rematch, which I know he didn't want, but he got that. So, and then and, and and like uh, Bernard he he's a legend. He's great. Of course, he's gonna go down as, as a top ten, top twenty great fighters the whole time. But in that night, you know, you got to be honest, you know, uh, there was no shoulder injury. There was no dislocation. We never saw a doctor report. Nothing like that. You know, but like I said he's a legend, but uh, legend. He didn't do it. That wasn't what he did that night. wasn't legendary.
2: No, that's fair enough. I, I was watching it. I was, I was I was watching it back the other day. I still I was still looking for the shoulder injury. No, nah, um, there was
0: no shoulder injury. There was no shoulder injury. There was no shoulder injury. I mean, my, <laughs> my whole career, right? You, you 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 say some people fighters. Are, some fighters are like fight, there are fighters that are scared of other fighters, right? Or uh, fighters that intimidate other fighters, right? And I was that fighter that intimidated Bernard Hawkins. He was intimidated by me. He uh, I remember the first. I remember the press conference and um for the second fight. I remember. Uh, I remember him saying something crazy to me. It was like, uh we did the stare down and the first thing he said to me was, uh, like, uh, there's no gangsters in Hartford, Connecticut. That when that right there told me that Bernard Hopkins is now nah, he's scared. Because I never said I was a gangster. <laughs> I never wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> and I'm not from Hartford, Connecticut. So I mean that right there told me that that he was he was just he was just scared. He was in a place he didn't want to be And the first fight he got out of it, but he couldn't get out of the second fight. So
2: yeah, I mean, you were the rematch king. Six months later, you yeah. get the rematch. April twenty eighth, yeah. twenty twelve, in Atlantic City, you're able to beat and, Bernard. And, and, go on. Go and on. this is re-
0: this is not like regular rematch. These are rematches against legends. Like, like they yeah. can't believe that I beat him. Like, they, it, was, it was like, okay, I beat Glenn Johnson the first time. No, that he that no, that no, he didn't really. No, we are gonna do that again. Beat him again. Beat Tarver the first time. Oh, that must have been a mistake. Nah, no, we are gonna do that again. Did it again. Beat him. Same thing with Be Hot. So it's like, it was it was like, I felt like in some way they were like trying to get me beat. You know, they, they couldn't believe how I kept winning these fights and winning these fights and winning these fights, building my legacy, building my legacy, getting better and better and better. You know, but like I said, I, I love, I, I had a stellar career. I had a great career. I love my career. You know, I have nothing to hang my head on. Um, I, I still consider myself one of the best fighters, uh, you know, uh, that, that that's done it, uh, especially at light like, heavyweight division. But you know that's for the fans. Of, that's for the fans' the side. For the uh, critics' side. But to me, you know, I don't hang my head on anything. I had a. I felt like I had a great career.
2: How did it feel, Chad, to become champion of the world for the third time and give Bernard some payback for those tricks he pulled in the first fight to keep the title?
0: Oh, it felt great. It felt great. Yeah, it felt. It felt beautiful. It felt great. Um, just to get ready, Just to get past that chapter, it felt good. You know, because after the first fight, you know, this was like a, a year and a half something that went on for like a year and a half. So it's like, I was just happy to get past it, move on, and, uh, you know, and move on my career.
2: So five months later in Oakland, California, you moved down to 168 to fight the unified WBC and WBA super yeah. middleweight world champion, Andre yeah. Ward. September 8th, 2012, you're down three times and were stopped in round 10. There were rumors yeah. that you'd been knocked out in sparring uh, uh, in preparation for the fight. Nah, Obviously, that's a
0: lot. There, there were a
2: there were possible reasons like the weight cut perhaps that hampered your performance, yeah. or was it just yeah. that Andre Ward really was that good? Tell me. No. Nah,
0: uh, this is this is the honest guy truth. So okay, I was not I should have never took that fight at that weight. All right, that plain playing plain simple. I should never took the fight at that weight. I thought I could get down to one sixty eight, no problem. Because and you know fighting a light heavyweight, sometimes I was weighing in at 72, 73... When I was leaving camp, you know, uh, underweight before I got to the training camp. So I, I thought it wouldn't be a problem, but it became a problem like uh, maybe like, I would say four weeks into camp, four or five weeks into camp, it became a problem like, okay, the weight's not coming off fast enough. Uh, so I can't, it, it, started, it started in training camp with me uh, trying to lose the weight. I had, uh, what's his name, uh, in for sparring? Uh,
2: Edison Miranda.
0: Edison Miranda. I had him in for sparring. He dropped me in sparring. He didn't knock me out. He dropped me. It was like a flash knock. It wasn't I wasn't hurt. He dropped me. I got up. We finished the sparring. Great sparring. I got up, finished the sparring, continued to beat him up and sparring like I did the whole camp. <laughs> and uh so that was a lie. I didn't get knocked out. I got dropped in camp. I didn't get knocked out. But the the weight problem, that was, the weight was the problem. It was the weight, you know, got to the uh we got to California four days before the fight. Uh, two days before the fight, I think I was like seven or eight pounds over. The, the, the night before the fight, I went to bed like five pounds over. You know, but we didn't know that uh, the weight was going to be a problem that that much of a problem. But it became a headache when we got there. So, of course, you know me—I'm not the type of uh, type of person to be uh, to cry and be like, "Oh, I'm not going to take the fight." I don't feel. Good. I don't feel good. I didn't feel good the, the day of the fight. You know, I was I was dehydrated. I just didn't feel good. But I went on with the fight anyway. You know, I'm not taking anything away from from Andre Ward. He, he fought a great fight. and He did what he had to do. But that that I just wasn't myself. That wasn't me that night. That wasn't Chad Dawson that night.
2: No, it didn't look to be. It didn't look to be. No, nah, that was not
0: Chad Dawson. That was not me at all. Uh, but like I said,
2: Bernard. I mean,
0: not, Ward did what he was supposed to do. You know, he had a he had a weak man in there, and he did what he do had to do. He got me out of there. But that was not Chad Dawson that night. It, if, if if that was the real Chad Dawson, the fight would have went a totally different way. And I believe that deep down in my heart. It wouldn't have been the same fight.
2: After that, you make the move back up in weight. You're still champion, of course, at 175. You defend your WBC title in Canada back at the Bell Centre against, at the time, one of the most fearsome punching contenders in any weight class in the world, Adonis Stevenson. Um, obviously, that night, Adonis announced himself to the world, a stunning first-round knockout. Yeah. I'm sure you probably hate talking about this fight, but just tell me what you know no, 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 about like
0: it. I said, I told you, I don't hate anything about my career. <laughs> Let me just finish this uh, I, sentence, Chad, yeah, it's that, all right. Yeah.
2: Um, he seemed yeah. he seemed to obviously faint with with the right jab and come over the top with a perfect um overhand left and just for the for the listeners fun fact Arta Baturbiev made his debut on the undercard that night but yeah carry on Chad. tell mm-hmm. me about that fight
0: oh man it was like i the back in enemy territory you know um there there to, there to lose like they wanted me to so i mean He caught it with a a, a, a good punch. It was a good, devastating punch. Definitely the hardest punch I've ever been hit with. He's definitely a big puncher. But I felt like the fight was stopped prematurely. I beat the count, but the ref still insisted on stopping the fight. And uh, that was a rematch I lobbied for right after that fight, but it never came to fruition. So.
2: Do you think Chad sometimes, um, you know, like the way a fighter goes down? can sometimes be misleading to the referee because, you know, people go down hard, they can still get back up. For example, you saw Tyson Fury in the first fight with Wilder. He went, I've never seen anyone go down harder and he still beat the count and obviously got up and was fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had a long long career, so I've been in every situation box. Like, I know how to hold, I know how to, uh, you know, buy time, I know how to do those things, but I didn't get the opportunity to do those things because I felt like the fight would stop prematurely. So, I didn't get a chance to, you know, uh, the, the, to even you know defend my defend my title. I was the champion that night, you know. You Should I could at least had the opportunity to at least finish the round, but I didn't get that opportunity, you know. And that goes back to the point where I made, like, you know, at that point I felt like they, Chad Dawson was just like people felt like Chad Dawson was just done, Let's get rid of him, and and that's it
2: and after that I'm gonna just fly through this bit obviously after that you're out of the ring for a year you come back you beat yeah. George Blades in a round you become the quickest man to stop him then you lose a split over 10 to Tommy Carpensi that was 2014 yeah. Uh, yeah. then you're out the ring for 14 months before coming back and beating Dion Savage over 10 that was 2015 in 2016 you had just the one fight and knockout winning round four against Cornelius White 2017 you boxed just one time again um, a TKO yeah. loss in the 10th and final round to Fonfara yeah, then you're out yeah. the ring for two years and three months before returning um, with your final two wins both on points both unanimous both over eight rounds the first against Quinton ranking the second against Denis Grachev um, mm-hmm. Those were your last two fights. They obviously both took place in 2019. Um, yeah. Did you want to give a word on any of those fights? I've flown through at all before we move on, Chad. No, no, no.
0: I, don't, I mean, pretty they much what they were. Anybody, anybody could put a conclusion to it, you know. Um, pretty much that was the, that's pretty much the end of end of my career. You know, I'm I'm, I'm 39 now. You know, I mean, those two fights. I mean, we're fighting. Just to get back in, and hopefully I'll, I'll get a, a another big fight out of those two fights, but that never happened. So, you know, um, boxing's a new world now. It's, it's, it's new talent, you know, young guys, and everybody knows boxing's a young sport, young man sport. And, uh, you know, pretty much. You know, I'm, I'm I'm here. You know, like I said, I ain't nothing. I felt like I had a great career, and I'm where I'm at right now.
2: So it, I didn't even notice, but you're officially retired, or you're half half in, half out. Uh, <laughs> toughest I'm, question. I'm I'll, week say, week. I'll, say, I'll say. I'll say. That's the toughest question
0: yeah. 75 out. 25. 75
2: yeah. out. Okay. Okay. And I want to. I want to ask you this as well. You mentioned earlier on that there was a time you felt invincible when you were destroying Epifanio Mendoza and Jesus Ruiz. At what yeah. point did that invincible feeling leave you, and did it ever come back?
0: No. No. It, I mean. Once you take a loss, you know, you're not invincible anymore. <laughs> yeah, but so, did I mean, the
2: loss to Jean Pascal take that invincibility away?
0: No, 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 it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It just uh, the loss to Pascal just uh, let me know that um, if, if I'm not on top of my game every every night out, that you know you can't be invincible. And and in the Pascal fight, I wasn't on my game that night. You know, um, it took me four or five rounds to get warmed up and get, to get to get get everything going. So, and I lost that fight tonight. So I mean. I wasn't invincible that night, you know. Like I said, nothing—nothing nothing take away from Pascal, but he was just a better man that night.
2: And for a while, Chad, you trained under the legendary trainer Emmanuel Stewart. Um, yeah. What was he like? I've spoke to a lot of people that's trained under him. Yeah. Everyone speaks so highly of the man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very man. When I when I when I got the chance to work with him, it was because I worked. Remember, I worked with him. I think it was a year before he passed. Mm-hmm.
2: The
0: year before he passed. Yeah, it was a year before he passed that I had worked with him. And and I went to, I'm going to be honest, the whole time in training camp, I felt like it wasn't about boxing with, with, with me and him. You know, we would, like, really, like, sit down and have, like, conversations, not so much about boxing, but about life. And I remember um, being in Canada for the Diakonu fight. And I remember after the uh, after the weigh-in, we all, we all went down, went, went to go eat. And he came down with us to eat. You know, I you at the after the wedding, me and my family y'all go sit down and eat. Some, maybe like twenty of us would go sit down, get the table, eat. And he came and sit with us and eat with us. And um, uh, I had my wife with me, my kids. You know, we were all sitting there eating. And I remember we were talking, and he was telling me how you know he he loves the way I am with my kids and my wife and how I'm a family man. And I li- literally sitting at the table like he really he he, he like he, he started crying, like like tears coming out of his eyes. Like he was he was like choked up. You know, like I don't know, like he was trying to like. I don't know, but that's that's the that's the fondest memory I have of him. Just sitting at a table and watching tears come out of his eyes, talking about you know how important it is to be a family man and to raise your kids and stuff like that. So like like I said, being a training camp with him, I didn't feel like it was about boxing. I felt like it was more about you know he was trying to, you know, show me and teach me you know what it's what it is to be a man. I mean, so I mean it was it was great that I got to work with him. The time I did, it was unfortunate he passed like literally like a, I think a year and a half after I had worked with him. But, you know, he was, he was definitely special, definitely knew everything, just about everything about boxing. You know, he taught me, you know, uh, he tried, I do to say he taught me, but he tried to teach me, you know, some power, some power punching. You know, how to punch through the target, not at the target, punch through the target. You know, those are the things I remember. But it was, it was definitely a, a great, great time with him, great memories. I'll never forget that. So...
2: Yeah, that's that's a brilliant memory, man. He obviously yeah, admired yeah. you a lot. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, um, I mean it was
0: crazy. I remember, I remember just sitting there, man, and my wife's looking at me like he's chat, he's crying. I looked, I'm like, oh man, because like we were really like 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 I said, it wasn't with me. Him, it wasn't about. I felt like it wasn't about Bach, man. He was just trying to teach me, like, show me your know, what it is to be a man. Like he wasn't really teach me much about Bach. He was just like, yo, Chad, like I like how you are with your family and your kids, man. Keep it up, and yeah, so.
2: No, that's amazing, man. And these next few questions are pretty much quick-fire questions. Um, we're going to whiz through these. I wanted to ask who you felt in your entire career was the biggest puncher you ever faced. I'm guessing it's probably Adonis.
0: Yeah, Adonis Peterson, man. I've never been – I've never – Let me tell you something about that fight. I was, in, I was in the best shape of my life for that fight. I mean, I mean, after the war fight, I felt like I had something to prove on my comeback after the war fight. I was still the world champion. I felt like I had a lot to prove. So I, I trained my I trained my butt off for that fight, man. I I I did even more than I ever did in any any one of my um, training camps. More than I was, my body was looking crazy. You know, I was eating right. I was doing everything in the right way. And unfortunately, when I got out there that night, you know, that one punch that ended, ended the fight. But he definitely 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 the, the hardest punch I ever been hit with. And uh, hats off to him. You know, he became the world champion that night.
2: And who is the... I'm intrigued to see what you say to this one, but who's the best all-round fighter you ever faced? I thought you might have said Andre Andrew Ward. Ward. But now I, oh, yeah. okay. I didn't think you'd no, say Andre Ward,
0: Andre okay. Ward, Andre Ward, Andre Ward. Andrew Ward. I, t- I, talk to, I talk to people about this all the time. Like, I tell them, like, people, hey, well, what was it like fighting Andre Ward? What was like? like, was he the toughest guy you fought? No, he's not the toughest guy I fought. He wasn't the toughest. He wasn't the biggest puncher. He was just... He's a... He's a He's a smart guy. He's a smart fighter. Like uh, even to this day, I watch Bernard Hockey. I mean, I watch Andre Ward fight right now. I watch all his highlights. I sit down and I watch things that he do still right now. Like I, I watch his highlights. And I like I like the stuff that he does. You know, he could pull off. He could pull a jab off with the with the right hand and then counter it with the same with the same hand. Things like that that he does. That he's a tricky fighter. He's yeah. tricky. Very 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 aware in the ring. He knows what's going on at all times. You know, when I fought him, you know, I wasn't myself that night, and I remember very little parts of the fight. But I also I, I do remember, I do remember how how ring sad he was, and how smart he was, and how brilliant he was, when, and how calculated he was when he threw his punches, and, and where he he always made sure he was in the right position when he punched. So that's one thing I remember. Andre Ward is is the best fighter I fought, and then, I mean, Burton, Burton Burton the the smartest fighter I fought.
2: And I want to ask, your personal favorite win of all your wins?
0: Bernard Hopkins.
2: And that's the second, obviously, yeah, the second, of course. Yeah, the I'm second, yeah. The first,
0: What was I talking about? Yeah, that's the most satisfying win I got, but, uh, the win over Bernard Hopkins.
2: <laughs> and I want to ask you this as well. Was there anyone that you wish you'd have had the chance to fight, but it just never ended up happening? Yeah, Roy Jones Jr. That's the one guy? Um no,
0: it's two guys, okay. Joe Kazaky and Roy Jones Jr. Okay,
2: okay. Were they ever close to happening at any point, Chad?
0: Uh I think I think the uh, I think the uh, the uh, fight was um was being talked about, and then he retired. He retired like I think about maybe six or seven months after that. I think it was yeah. being talked about. We were talking about it, and then he retired after the um. I think it was a Roy Jones Jr. fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or,
2: yeah, was it? I can't even remember myself. You put me on the spot. I think last it
0: was, either him, or, it was either, either him or Bernard. Wasn't one. He retired after one of those fights. Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, and I want to ask you this as well. I ask this to everyone. Um, do you have any regrets? It could if you could go back in time, would you change anything or do anything differently?
0: Yeah, I would have I done a lot different. A oh, lot.
2: I hate hearing that answer. I like it when people but say yeah. no. I got no regrets. But go on, tell me, tell me what's in your. Regrets, i mean
0: right? when, it come, when it comes when it comes when it comes to my me my personal personally my career I, I don't have any regrets but when it comes to like the business part and like the uh the management part the 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 promoter part the just 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 knowing who's who and knowing people's people's motives and knowing you know that everybody doesn't have your best interest at heart and knowing that boxing is only about a dollar and everybody's just trying to make a buck off of the next fighter like, uh, the thing I wish I would did different, but I wish I would have um, had better, smarter people in my corner, uh, more loyal people in my corner. Because at the end of the day, you know, like when I fought, uh, when I fought Donna Stevenson, when I lost that fight, when I got knocked out that night, I remember going back to the, uh, to the hotel room by myself, you know, promoter was gone. I Never saw the promoter again after that fight. Never talked to him again. So, the manager, ain't nobody. So, he <laughs> showed you how the sport is. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, no, it's a true story. I never. The night after I fought, um, Donald Stevenson got knocked out. I never heard from Gary Shaw again, ever. Yeah, never talked to him on the phone. Sad. Never received a letter from him. Nothing. Never ever heard from him again.
2: I remember speaking to a fighter. I want to say, I think it might have been Lehman Brewster, and um, I remember he he was telling me a story about he had like a best friend from from like kindergarten or whatever. They've been friends forever, and he came to one of his fights. I think he lost his his heavyweight world title in one of the fights. Yeah. and he, he's never to this day seen the friend again. It was twenty years ago or more. Yeah, now, you know. It's, it's yeah, incredible. man. Look,
0: it's it's there's a there's a lot of um a lot of lessons to be learned. You no, know, um, from from. From stuff like that. So I mean he just gotta like Gary show he was he was he was he was good to me in the beginning, you know, then towards the end that's when he started, you know. But like I said, I never heard from that guy again. Never lost that fight, didn't see him in the airport, didn't see him the next morning, didn't see him after the fight, he didn't come to my dressing room. I never heard from him again.
2: Wow. Um, I wanna ask you this as well, Chad. You say you're kind of like 75 percent out of boxing 25 percent in what are you yes. doing with your time with that 75 percent what keeps you busy what gets you out of bed every morning
0: uh working with other fighters training training fighters okay not and training fighters i i i i love kids so i work i work with kids you know i don't, i got a lot of kids that got you know uh like uh anger problems stuff like that so i try to i try to like focus on those kids you know and Cause I was, I was the same type of kid, you know? So I try to focus on kids like that, kids that, you know, need, need like emotional support and things like that. So those are the kind of type of kids I work with. And I find, I think that boxing is a great way for them to express themselves. So
2: that's what I do. That's a beautiful thing, man. Good for you, Chad. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you as well, this is important, this question. Are you happy? Are you happy with the way things turned out? Are you a happy man in 2021?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. I, I'm 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 married. I got four kids, four sons. Uh, I'm happy, man. I'm happy. You know, um, I had like I said, I had a great career. Uh, there's pretty much you know where I'm from. I'm the first world champion to come out of um come out of my city. So no, here first and last. <laughs> so there's been a few that that tried, but you know, I'm not I'm not gonna hang my head on anything. You know, I had a great career. You know, hopefully, I, hopefully, hopefully, people start to recognize that. And I get celebrated more because like now I feel like I'm I'm celebrated enough or not, I'm not even talked about right now. So, but, you know, uh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with my life. I'm happy.
2: Well, you talked about on this podcast, my friend, I admire you. I think you've had a sensational career and quite clearly, even after boxing, you're a very good human being. You You talked about what you're doing with kids there. Emmanuel yeah. Stewart saw it in you. You should be proud of yourself, my friend. I'm happy that you're yeah, happy. Thank you. And just finally, my final question for you, really, I'm going to put you on the spot a tiny bit. Favorite UK fighter, Chad, any era? The listeners here in the UK love to hear the answers to this. Who springs to mind?
0: Any era, any era, any era, any era. era. (sighs) Any era. I should have given you a little warning. (laughs) Uh, I'll have to go with uh, Joe Kazaki. Joe Kazaki, okay.
2: Yeah, that's a yeah, popular answer. Yeah. We hear Prince yeah. Nassim Hamed come up a lot. But you yeah. Prince
0: Nassim Hamed. Uh, <laughs> that was I, I love watching that guy though. Uh, but I'm gonna have to give it to Joe Kazaki.
2: Okay, that's absolutely he, he, was a, he, was a, he
0: was just a brilliant he was just a brilliant fighter, man. He and speed, power, everything I mean I was at I was at the fight, I fought on the undercar when he fought um Jeff Lacey. Jeff Lacey. I was on yeah, the undercard. You know, yeah, I was on the undercard night.
2: Yeah, I was, I was on gonna on say I knew that. Day. Yeah, I knew that.
0: Yeah, I was on undercard and I remember I remember like, whoa. <laughs> Oof, that means fast, strong. Oof. But, yeah.
2: Okay. And just finally, Chad, if you've got a closing message just to anyone that's listening, uh, the UK fans as well, like you say, you boxed in Manchester on the Zaggy Lacey on the car. You've got fans over here. What's your message before we let you go?
0: Oh, nothing, man. Just I'm doing good. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm out here. I'm working with fighters. Hopefully, you'll see me on the scene working with a big fighter one day. You know, um, I'm looking to build my regular man as a trainer, hopefully soon. You know, just look out for me. You know, I'll, I'll be back around soon.
2: Absolutely. And listen, Chad, I just want to thank you for walking down memory lane with me. I also want to thank you for your time. I wish you the absolute best with the future. And I hope we can All speak right. again thank soon you. one day.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with the fact that Clarissa Shields has signed a multi-fight seven-figure deal with Sky Sports and Boxer. She's going to be, of course, fighting on um, on, on December 11th in card if That's going to be her first fight in the UK, of course. And she's taking on Emma Kozin, who boasts a record of... I think she's unbeaten, I believe. Um, can't remember her record right now. But I think Savannah Marshall was supposed to be on that card as well, and she's had to... You know, pull out with an illness, I believe it is, or a slight injury. So she's off that card. It's a shame. It would have been good to see both ladies box on the same night, but no. Um, You know, Savannah is off the card once again. So Clarissa Shields' fight will go ahead. Um, It's a mandatory defence as well for her WBC middleweight world title. Um, There's a card that's been announced in York Hall. It's an MTK show. It's going to be. Friday, December the 3rd, we have Danny Dignam on the card, Isaac Lowe and Charlie Edwards finally making a ring return. Of course, Charlie now being trained by Joe Gallagher up in Bolton. Um... We've got a fight that's been announced as well, December 18th on Saturday, December the 18th. There we've got David morell Jr., the guy who has a record, I think, of about four and oh. Um it's for the WBA super middleweight world title. He takes on friend of the show, Alontez Sly as a Fox. Um really looking forward to that one there. I guess in some ways it could even be a last chance saloon there for Alontes Fox. I remember him getting blasted out by Liam Williams. And, um, you know, he he's managed to find his way into a world title shot. Very pleased for him. Very, very pleased for him. Good, good friend of mine, Isolantes Fox. Um, Badu Jack will be out as well. He's going to be um, fighting on, I think it's November 26th in Dubai. I'm not sure there's a, an, an opponent that's been announced for that fight just yet. But it's going to be a card uh, promoted by Probellum there in Dubai. Um... Obviously, we're going to be talking about it in a moment, but Muradjon Akmedaliev was supposed to be taking on Ronnie Rios this weekend. Ronnie Rios has pulled out. Uh, due to COVID, and in steps Jose Velasquez. We will talk about that in more depth in a few moments' time. Katie Taylor's opponent has been announced for her fight that's taking place on December 11th. She now takes on Firuza Sharipova. Um Again, that's on the Connor Ben-Chris Algieri card in Liverpool. Once again, on the zone Saturday, December 11th. Um, I think it's a mandatory um, for the WBA of Katie Taylor uh, there. Firuza Sheripova, not a bad fighter, I don't think, from what I'm hearing. Um, haven't seen her fight though, I'll be honest there. And also Lee McGregor has signed with Probellum. Probellum seemed to be snapping up many, many people. Um Thomas Delorme sending a letter to the Nevada State Athletic Commission trying to dispute his result against Jaron Ennis. He's trying to say he was rabbit punched and that the result should turn into a no contest. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one there. Jason Cunningham, the European champion, obviously having a fantastic twenty twenty one, beating Gamal Yafai, and last time out beating. Um, Brad Foster he is signed with Queen- with Queensbury so that's good there He's signed with Frank Warren um, and that's about it though for the news at the moment if anything else develops from now to the end of the show I will speak about it at the very end moving on then to the preview part of the show we're going to start here with a card that takes place tomorrow night in Sweden we've got Anthony Yigit 24-2 and with a draw um, in an 8 rounder against Miroslav Serban who's 13-7 and Moving out now to the SNHU Arena in New Hampshire, USA. Over here, as I said, Muradjon Akmadaliev, nine and O, defending his IBF and WBA world super bantamweight titles. He's always really good to watch, Muradjon Akmadaliev. If anyone is listening to me, listening to me that hasn't seen him box, very, very. Um, exciting fighter. I remember his, his tremendous fight with Daniel Roman where he dethroned Daniel Roman. Um, yeah, 9 0, 7 KOs. Gets in with late replacement Jose Velasquez, 29 6, with two draws. Velasquez um, on a bit of a run. Hasn't lost a fight since 2016. He's put together a lot of wins in that time, mostly by knockout. Um, you know, and. Yeah, it's it's a big step up really. I mean, I don't expect him to win. I don't expect him at this stage of his career to be able to pull off anything spectacular against someone like Akhmad Aliyev but yeah, 32 years years of age Velasquez as I said, he's racked up a few losses. Um they were early on in his career. I give him I give him that, but you know I don't think he's really on that kind of level. That's my honest opinion there. On the undercard, Julio Cesar Martinez, 18-1, and gets in with McWilliams Arroyo, 27-4. and That one is for Martinez's WBC flyweight world title. Demetrius Andrade, 30-0, defending his WBO middleweight title against Jason Quigley, 19-1. Um, I don't give Jason Quigley a chance in this fight at all. I think Andrade will actually... Put it on Quigley and get the stoppage. And I don't say that about every Andrade fight. Both guys have been on the show before. Andrade's been on a few times. Uh, Quigley, I think, only been on once. Both guys friend of the show, though. Uh, made a best man win, but I think the best man is Andrade by by quite some distance. I remember Jason Quigley's last fight when he took on um, Shane Mosley Jr. Already, I think we both saw it. I don't think he's got much of a chance here against Andrade. Yeah, I gotta agree with that. Um, elsewhere on the card, Callie Reese eighteen and seven with a draw takes on Jessica Kamara eight and two. Um, that one is for the WBA vacant WBO and the IBO world super lightweight titles. Kamara has no belts, but um, Callie Reese has has two of those. As I say, the WBA and IBO. Um, this fight here really is. Only exciting from my point of view because the winner takes on Chantel Cameron for all the belts we saw Chantel in a tremendous fight a few weeks ago against Mary McGee. I think Callie Reese will probably have a little bit too much experience for Jessica Kamara. I think Callie Reese against... Uh, um, Chantel Cameron for all the belts is is a good fight. Elsewhere on the undercard, Australia's Dempsey McKean, who's nineteen and zero with twelve KOs, a six foot six Southport heavyweight, takes on Don Hainsworth from New York. Um, Don Hainsworth coming off four losses in a row now, but he is a guy who either will knock you out or get knocked out. So. Uh, Doubt it's going to be interesting, really, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, Moving out now to the Universum gym in Hamburg, Germany. Over here, we've got Avni Yildirim, 23-4, taking on Yusuf Kanguel, who is 20-4 with a draw. That one is over 10. Um, Jeremias Ponce, as well, on the undercard. 28-0, the guy that beat Lewis Ritson. I believe that's the same guy. He gets in with Michael Marcano, who's 22-4 and four with a draw. We've also got Senad Gashi on the card as well, 21-3 and three in with Jairo Diaz, who's 6-7. And, and a heavyweight to keep an eye on, by the way. It's for the vacant WBC International Silver Heavyweight title. But Zan Kosobutski, 16-0 with 15 KOs. Um, he's in with an undefeated fighter here, an undefeated fighter by the name of... Um, Alexis Garcia, who is eleven and zero in his, you know, in his own right. Um, you know, I I've been told about this Kusabutski for a while. Haven't seen much of him as a pro, to be honest. But I like what I'm hearing. I'm hearing good things. Southpaw six three, so on the small side. But, um, you know, he's beaten a couple of decent fighters. He's a guy that last time out stopped Joey DeWeko. That was back in August. I remember that one there. Um, he's been in there and knocked out Camille Sokolowski. Not many people are able to knock him out. And other than that, you know, he's he's, he's boxed a fair, fairly decent level of opposition, especially coming through early on. And, yeah, he gets in with Alexis Garcia. Like I say, 11-0, 7 KOs from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Um, he hasn't boxed anywhere near the kind of same level of opponents as um, as Kosabutski. I don't know. We'll see. Should should probably not go the distance, but could be interesting. Um, that's it for Germany. Um, moving out now to. Ukraine at the ACO International. Over here we've got Artem Delakian who's 20 and oh in a 12 rounder defending his WBA flyweight world title against Luis Concepcion who's 39 and 8 these days. Artem Delakian has been grossly inactive to be honest with you. I even thought he'd lost his world title through inactivity. He's been a world champion since, I believe it was twenty eighteen, I think it was, early twenty eighteen. Since then he's had um Four defenses, one in 20, uh, two in 2018, one in 2019, one in 2020. Hasn't boxed for over a year and a half. He's still champion though, and he gets him with Concepcion, who I would say really is at the back end of his career now. You know, I remember him losing to um, Andrew Maloney, losing to Cal Yafai as well. I think at one point. Um, yeah, so that one takes place in Ukraine. Moving out now to the Wembley Arena. This one takes place on Saturday, of course, on Sky. We have Hosea Burton, 26-2 in a 12-rounder for the British light heavyweight title, the vacant title against Dana Ziz of Lewisham, 14-0. Could be interesting. The only thing is Hosea Burton, since I think losing, I want to say... It was uh, Yeah, it was the Frank Buglioni fight. Since then, he hasn't really looked the same, to be honest with you. And um, when he lost to um, Ricard's Bolotniks in Latvia, I was stunned because I thought he would beat Bolotniks quite easy. And, you know, Bolotniks battered him, really. And he's just... I don't know what it is, but he's just kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit you know there was a period of time where he for me was right up there with the best light heavyweights in the country i had him um you know like up there with the likes of your johnsons your yards your linden arthur's um all those guys you know i i thought at one point perhaps he could even beat some of those guys but yeah, it seems like, I don't know, he's he's not as good as perhaps I thought, or something slipped, I don't know what it is, but it's a it's a really, really good domestic level fight here against Dan Aziz. Dan Aziz with a lot of promise, everyone's talking about his bright future, still unblemished with a perfect 14 and 0, could be a great, great fight. I'll be certainly tuned into that one. On the undercard, Florian Marku, 9 and 0 with a draw, questionable win last time out, he needs a convincing one here. It's an 8 rounder against Jorik Lucetto, who's 11 and too. Um, she was supposed to be making her debut on the car, but unfortunately she's been pulled out through um, illness Caroline Dubois the sister of Daniel Dubois she won't be making her pro debut but in steps though as a late replacement um, Natasha Jonas I'm not sure if they've got an opponent for her just yet but she gets on the card so women's boxing will be on this card we've got Mikael Lawal as well 14-0 in a 10 rounder against Stephen Ward 13-1 and the fight was supposed to take place earlier on this year but not sure why it fell through it's back on um and as well, a huge step up here. Richard Briakpour, 12-0. and Stepping up massively against Olam Rawaju Duradola, who's 36-8. and Duradola, I think about 44 years of age now, but boy, oh boy, can he punch. Um, he can also get knocked out himself. So he's... he's uh, Always fun to watch, I guess. Haven't seen loads and loads of him, but I know he knocked out the Russian Hammer, then got knocked out himself in the rematch, so he is fun. It's for the vacant WBC Silver Cruiserweight title. It's a massive step up. Reactpour didn't look too great last time out, I've got to say so. And this could be dangerous, man. He's taken on a true, true puncher here. Certainly the biggest puncher he'd have ever been in with by some by some margin. Uh, moving out now to the Mecca in Regent Circus, Swindon in Wiltshire, United Kingdom. Over here, we have son of former world champion Lee Haskins, Anton Haskins, 2 0 in a four rounder against Jamie Quinn, 8 118 2. We also have, top in the bill, Luke the Duke Watkins, friend of the show, 15-2 in a six-rounder against Yassin Habachi, who's 5-14 and 14 with five draws. Moving out now to the Manuel R-Time Community Centre Theatre in Miami, Florida. Over here we have, um, top in the bill, Uniel Dultico's 24-2 in a 10-rounder against Jesse Bryan, who's 20-5 with two draws. Jesse Bryan, a heavyweight. Um, I think he, was he a heavyweight, might now be a cruiserweight, I don't know, I'm sure it's the same guy, but I think he had a career where he fought a few times, lost, then I want to say stepped out of pro boxing for a few years, then came back, and he's not fantastic, I mean, cost being a top, top level cruiserweight should be way too much for Jesse Bryan, who again, I think he's up there in age, and talking about up there in age, boy oh boy, Marco Antonio Barrera. 67 and 7 taken on Daniel Ponce de Leon 45 and 7 I cannot believe this one's going ahead it's taking place at the inn of the mountain gods in New Mexico USA it's only a six round contest i mean boy oh boy i um i'm not even sure how old these two guys are i just want to check that now to be honest with you the combined age must almost be about 100 i think Marco Antonio Barrera 47 And uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon is, I mean, he hasn't boxed for seven years, by the way. And his last win was, um, was eight years ago, just over eight years ago. How old is Daniel Ponce de Leon? I'm not sure. But anyways, they shouldn't be in a ring. It is dangerous. I'm happy to see it's only six rounds. God, it should only be about one round. Um, but yeah, the two old, old, old guys getting it on there. Uh, moving out now, though, to the final card. To In fact, before we get on to the final card, I told you about this, Eddie, already, so it's not going to be as funny. But years ago, people that have listened to the show for years, they would remember that we used to do something that was called a funny name fighter segment. For those that don't remember what that is, it was where I would find the funniest name I could find that's fighting that particular week. So, I was scrolling through, looking at all the fights, and there's a there's a fight that's taking place in India, involving an Indian fighter, and he has a tremendous name. It's been a while since we did this, but like I say, people that's been listening for years will remember, we once fight, found a guy in China called Cho Kondong. It was a perfect name, um, one of the best names I've ever seen, actually. And now, i found this one here, a guy from India, with a record of seven and two, and um, in a six rounder. In fact, do you know what? It's a it's a woman, Eddie. It's not even a guy. It's a woman. What? It's a woman, which it makes is? me think a whole nother thing. Um her... <laughs> Some guys might oh, be into this, wow. but anyways anyways the the lady's name <laughs> is Ramman Deep. <laughs> I forgot
1: that it was deep, I was about to say <laughs> Yo, it's just it's unfortunate. That, that's thing a crazy, though, day. That's a very. That's the a, thing that's is though, Eddie, when day. I
2: first saw that that yeah. name, Ram Man Deep, I was thinking of maybe like a a heavyweight Indian, very hairy, a bit of a kind of moustache going on, you know. But yeah. I found out it's a woman, so yeah. now it's it's got all other kinds of images in my head actually, with um yeah with yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. with uh, with exterior devices. We shall leave it there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's cold, yeah. but that is very interesting. That is a that is a that is a very yes. interesting name. I guess I guess in you know their culture it's maybe normal. I guess.
2: Are you speaking about her name or us, the action of? Uh, I'm joking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think. Both- yeah, so
2: all the best there too, Ram Mandeep. Um, and going on to the final card to mention, it takes place at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA, for the WBO World Welterweight title. We have in one corner Terrence Bud Crawford, obviously defending his title against Sean Porter. Uh, Terrence Crawford, 37-0. and 0, Sean Porter, 31-3 and 3, with a draw. Um... I'm going to just mention the undercard really briefly, actually. We've got Isaac Dogbe, former world champion, friend of the show, 22-2, and two, getting in with Christopher Diaz, 26-3. and three. Um, We also have on the card um, Zanebek Alim Cano- Canuli. I always mess up his name. 10 0. Obviously, last time out beat former world champion Rob Brandt. Now he's getting in with Hassan and Dam. 38 5. Friend of the show is Hassan and Dam for the WBO global middleweight title. Um, you'd have to favour um, Alim Canuli. Um We've also got Esquiva Falcao, who is a Brazilian fighter. 28 0. 20 KOs. Last time out was able to knock out Artarakavov, who To be honest with you, I mean, he didn't knock him out, he retired then, he's still, but that's a big win, because Akovov had been in there with Billy Joe Saunders, he couldn't get him out of there, um, he'd been in there with Demetrius Andrade, he got him out of there in what was the worst stoppage I've ever seen in the 12th and final round, there was only 25 seconds left in the fight, there's no way it should have been a knockout, and this guy stopped him, so um, he's quite a good fighter, I think he was a medalist or whatever in the Olympics maybe, uh, yeah, silver medalist in the Olympics in 2012, he's been at the Worlds and all that. He had a fight with um, Antonia Gogo once upon a time. So he's a really good, well-scored fighter, but he, he gets in with Patrice Volney, who's 16 and 0, undefeated from Canada with 10 KOs. Um, yeah, that that might be one to watch. But yeah, let's let's just go straight on to the main event. It's a tremendous fight, Eddie. Um, Terrence Crawford, some people, I, I mean, some people I'm seeing are actually picking Porter to win. I can't see that. But some people are saying it's the... Uh, the the you know the biggest test of Crawford's career. We'll talk about that in a second. Um some people saying that, you know, is he gonna be able to deal with the precision, the punching of 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 Crawford? Will Porter be able to deal with that precision, with that accuracy? And and it makes me remember that time when it still baffles me how it happened, but Sean Porter holds that amateur win over Alexander Usyk, the reigning heavyweight champion of the world. Um Tell me about the fight, though. Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter, Eddie.
1: Uh, for Crawford, I think it is, and I agree with most, that I think it's going to be his toughest test. The only way I see this fight going completely his way in just one-way traffic is if he catches him, it hurts him, and, you know, puts him in a situation where he can't recover or just gets him out of there quick. I just don't see <clears throat> how anyone, to be honest, <laughs> can... Really keep Sean Porter off him for 12 rounds without, you know what I mean, catching him with a good shot and, like I said, putting him on in a in a, in a crazy situation. I see the fight as being uh, uh extremely extremely rough rough one for um, for Crawford. Although I do think he will pull it off. You know what I'm saying? I think I think he has what it takes and he has the ability. I think he'll eventually get enough separation as far as with um, you know, distance, throw his shots. You know what I mean? I think he has enough pop where he's going to get respect, more respect from Sean Porter than, you know, maybe most will get out of him. And, and you know, the swishing and different things that he does will put him in a, you know, in, 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 in different positions where he can land some nice shots. But I still think that Sean Porter, no matter what, is just going to be, he's going to be in his face. He's going to make it a rough one. He's going to make it as hard as he's ever as he's ever had at, at this point as a professional, he's going to struggle some at certain points. And this is where we get a chance to see if, if, uh, if Terrence Crawford is, you know, going to be a master at making the adjustments. Things that all great fighters have to do. You know what I mean? Especially at that high level like that. Because Sean Porter, once the fight gets to the, to the, to the uh, middle, middle rounds, he's still going to be there for most likely he's still going to be throwing punches he's still going to be roughhousing you he's still going to be in your face and you got to be able to figure out what's going to you know what what adjustment you need to make if there needs if there need be you know what i'm saying and, and and if it doesn't how do you stay the course even with all the pressure that he's bringing you got to be able to do that at that at that level i think he can and i think that's how he's going to win the fight but make no mistake sean is going to be there and he's definitely going to give him everything he ever asked for in a fight.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a cracking fight. I cannot wait to see it. Uh, the Clash of Stars is very interesting. Obviously, Sean Porter always the same way, he puts on the pressure. Um, I remember there was a few fights where he opted to box, and it, it, it just didn't work. I think he tried that against Danny Garcia for a few rounds, and he, he let Danny Garcia have a good start because of that. And then he went back to his original, um, you know, his original tactics. He's like a—I've always said—he's like a pit bull. I remember him, uh, you know, the way he fought Andre Berto. He's right on your chest, doesn't give you space to breathe. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how Crawford can deal with that style. Um, I think, obviously, Crawford wins. I think Crawford is obviously very accurate, doesn't miss a lot. I think the fact he can switch hit is very, very, very useful against someone like Sean Porter. He's got good feet, good judge of distance, good counter-punching ability. Um, all of these things work in Terence Crawford's favor, but Sean Porter always, always in a fight. As you say, he's definitely going to still be there to the midway point. Um, will um, Terence Crawford become the first man to knock... Sean Porter out. Terence Crawford has has got all wins by knockout since moving up to one four seven. It's amazing the way he's transitioned from one three five to one four seven like this. I mean, oh boy, he 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 is right up there. You know, some people want to say Canelo's pound for pound number one. It's a toss up in my opinion between Crawford and Canelo. Um, But yeah, should be a great great fight. I'm I'm intrigued to see how he deals with his style. But I think he wins and he he wins well. I think he wins well. It's it's another measuring stick kind of fight. I want to see how close um, Sean Porter can make it. Because he had a real close one with Errol Spence. You know, a real close one. And if we're not going to see Spence and Crawford in the ring together, then we need to take opportunities like this to see who dealt with that opponent better. And this is a great, great Measuring stick fight. We're going to see how he deals with the pressure of Sean Porter, who you know is is fixed set. Is gonna he's gonna put it right on him. He's gonna be stronger than Crawford. It's gonna be very interesting. But like I say, I think the the more accurate, the you know the more accurate, the more crisper, um, better boxing IQ all round really is Terence Crawford. So I'm picking him for the win. Um, it's obviously going to go late or will go to points. Be interesting. If he does stop him, what a statement that is. God almighty, that's a huge statement. If he stops him, that's amazing to think that Usyk <laughs> lost to him in the amateurs. You know, um, Errol Spence couldn't stop him. Yeah, that'll be tremendous. But that wraps up the preview part of the show, though. The final thing for me to do just before we wrap this up completely is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 318 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest on this week's podcast, the former IBF, two-time WBC, Lineal, and Ring Magazine light heavyweight champion of the world, Chad Dawson. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. There has been one piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show. PBC have announced a card for January the 1st in Hollywood, Florida. Containing a bunch of heavyweights. The main event's going to be Lewis Ortiz against Charles Martin, the two uh, top tier heavyweight Southpaws getting it on there. Both bangers as well. That's going to be a good fight, I think. On the undercard as well, we get to see Frank Sanchez get in there with. Um, Carlos Negron. We also get to see the rematch between Michael Polite-Coffee and Jonathan Rice, the guy that upset him. And, as well, we get to see Gerald Washington get in with reason who is a guy that um, lost his O to Effie Jagbron points, I think, a couple years ago. Should be great fights there. Um, finally, I just want to say, remember to visit manscaped.com and use the promo code BOXHARD for 20% off and free shipping. Believe me, the stuff they, they sell on there is fat. It's absolutely fantastic. Do not miss out. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.